welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. One never knows what people you know think about you truly, but if I were guessing in terms of my way of being, I think people would think that I'm a pretty active, energetic, go-getter, who doesn't let a lot of grass grow under her feet, who's always learning about new things, who's always trying new, and I'm not saying risky things, but intellectual pursuits. In fact, I'm not a risky person at all. I'm afraid of things that are risky. I wish that weren't true, but there you are. And at some level, they are correct. But truth be told, I have an underlay of inertia that could be a psychological thing, that could be pure laziness, I suppose. My father used to say that he was actually quite lazy, and he was a pretty active mentally guy, someone who read a lot and thought a lot and wrote a lot. But I'm guessing that we both share a bit of a depressive characteristic. Things get to us, as they get to everyone, but when things get to us, by the way, my father is no longer with us, but I still think of it as a kind of a duality in terms of how he was and how I am, how our genetics seems to have been common in that particular thing for certain. Maybe it's a manic depression personality of sorts, but the two of us could get excited about things, reading things, getting interested in things, starting things, and then kind of letting them fall to the side or not to devote the fullness of our skills and energy to it. My father used to say about himself that if he had really devoted himself to anything, he might have been very well known or famous or, and he wasn't looking to be famous, but that if he really took it to its nth degree, he could have really achieved something so substantial that it would have been known. I think for me, an example of this sort of behavior or process within is exemplified by how I'm doing the program this week. I've mentioned more than once in the last few episodes that a friend of mine gave me a subscription to the Tablet UK, which is a broad, creative, spiritual, theological, political magazine uh, with a Catholic undertone. One of the articles, and I will be talking about it, got me so going that I spent virtually the whole week energetically, as I use the word energetically, reading as much as I could, as quickly as I could, about the subject of the article so that I could share in a very small way because obviously there was no way I could learn everything about this person. It turns out to be a person and about his art in just a week. I would have to read a lot longer, I would have to absorb, I would have to consider before really having a grasp on the material. So I guess what I was feeling was I had discovered something like you do when you see a beautiful shell on the beach and you just want to grab it and show it to everyone. Even before you, you give it the fullest touch and look and appreciation of its beauty. And then as the week went on, 
I found something shifted in me again, and I was delaying in sitting down and making notes of all the things that had totally entranced me, things that had rattled around my head and I should have gotten up and written down right away, but I just sort of lost momentum. And so here it is, Saturday, quite literally, at about 12.15, 12.30, and I am just getting to that which had so enthralled me still wanting to share, but lacking the oomph, if you will, that I had in the earlier part of the week. So what to do about this? I think, by the way, this trait that I'm describing to you has a very similar place in my religious life, alas. I get very excited about the Lord, and then I kind of lose my train of incipient devotion. So what to do about this. The subject I want to talk about today, this reading that I found, this overview of the story of a man that I'd never heard of before, has a lot of facets. And I don't want to give short shrift to it by doing a very short program in order to satisfy or give into my, call it, psychological lethargy of the day. So, what I think is going to happen, in fact, I'm pretty sure as I'm speaking now, is effectively a two-parter that will introduce the subject and the surrounding aspects of the subject, whose name, by the way, is George Mackay Brown, a poet and also a short story writer who died in 1996. And then the next time to talk more about the substance of the work itself and its relationship to Catholicism as best as I can understand it because I think it's not clear how the man's Catholicism, although very much present in his work, worked on him. Maybe that'll make sense as we go along. I guess what I think, having read about him, is that as for the rest of us, or for many of us, even though we seek our Catholicism, we work on our Catholicism, there is so often an uneasy fit in terms of living our own lives and trying to be faithful. So that subscription to the Tablet UK, courtesy of my friend and benefactor, led to the intriguing discovery of two vastly different but profoundly connected things. The existence of a place, well, a conglomerate of places, 77 islands in an archipelago just northeast of Scotland called the Orkney Islands, and one of its former residents, a poet, sometime prose short story writer, native-born, George Mackay Brown. The article that caught my attention this time was by Morag McGuinness, the daughter of Mr. Brown's childhood friend Ian, reporting with a fondness of having been a child and young adult who knew him on the occasion of the late writer's 100th birthday and the re-release of three of his books. He would, perhaps in simplistic terms, be called a Catholic poet, but perhaps like Flannery O'Connor, who was born a Catholic, Brown, who converted to the faith from the time, well, I wanted to say he converted as an adult officially, 
but he started thinking about it when he was quite young. And I'm guessing that like Flannery O'Connor, he would not like to be so restrictively labeled as a, quote, Catholic poet, because like all of us, he was the product of many forces. Perhaps the Catholicism made its final imprint on him. Hopefully that's exactly what happened. As I've probably said before, usually something hooks me when I read about someone new. So here's a quote from the article called Orkney's Embedded Observer, which got me on the tear to learn about Brown, and this was by Morag McGuinness, and it's in the tablet. So if you want to read the whole article, it's there. The quote is from Ms. McGuinness, the important part of the Catholic faith for him, resonating in the story of Magnus the Martyr, and as an aside, we'll be talking about him, was the idea of sacrifice, of doing something selfless. How does one present holiness to a godless generation, especially as I know nothing about it myself, he once said. I guess it was the humility of the quote that lured me in. I am, like all of us, trying to learn to be holy, and my pride and that spiritual laziness I was talking about in the beginning of the program is always blocking the path. And the quote reflects a man not only trying to present holiness to us, but struggling with his trek towards it like the rest of us. The place he was born is ancient. The ancient coincides with the more recent centuries in a way that sounds unlike, at least in this particular period of my reading, unlike any other place. It reeks of the mysterious, the out of the world, of danger, and the communal camaraderie of a unique people who live in a place where one is aware that the earth is round because of the nature of the topography. He had a life affected by tuberculosis, and he rarely spent time away from the Orkney Islands, except for a couple of digressions to be further educated as what they call a, quote, mature student, and to teach, and I believe there was one visit to London and Oxford. His poetry and his love of Catholicism took flight. But his real life, his day-to-day -day life, seems to have been in need to stay grounded and close to the familiar which gave him comfort. You have to begin in the place he lived and spent his life that had to literally been in his DNA, reflecting the struggle and dangers of life itself, but also of its mystery and its beauty, at some moments vying at exactly the same time for prominence in the eye and the soul. The Orkney Islands... I have to tell you, I was a little ashamed of my geographic ignorance. I'm really bad in geography. When I play Jeopardy, it's sports and geography that almost always get me. I had never heard of this area. Among my furious activities in learning about Mr. Brown, I went on YouTube so I could see the topography. My first thought, I have to go there. I have to go there now. The islands are surrounded by water where the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean conjoin. And looking at the videos, it seems that power of the sea and the ocean are physically manifest. The only thing I ever saw that somewhat matched it was when I was in Maine as a college student or high school student many years ago, and right by the Atlantic during a break in the rain, the sound of the power of the whoosh of waves, I recall to this day, comforted and terrified me all at once. I, I didn't want to leave because it was mesmerizing. I think that's the best word for it. 
and watching the videos of the undulating and smashing waves in the Orkney Islands reminded me of that day, the end of the earth, the beginning of the power of God and his terrible but loving hand. You know, things, things like that, simple things like that. <laughs> of the 70 plus islands in this area, only about 20, I've seen varying numbers on this, one I saw was 16, they are inhabited, so the rest are not inhabited. Although I read in one of the travel logs that sometimes people will go out to them with, with the tour guides that are increasing in the area. George Mackay Brown was born on the island they call Mainland. It's the biggest one in the town of Stromness. It's said, and even in the videos, you can sort of see that that earth is in fact round that I mentioned before because there's nothing blocking the horizon. It doesn't seem to be a lot of trees and things like that that will get in the way of your visual. One gets the awesome sense of the fact that we on the earth are in fact suspended in the sky, in the universe, held there by some force that science tries to quantify but in fact is unseen. It's like all of history meets in this cosmic place on the earth. It is truly prehistoric. The peoples who have lived there go back 5,000 years. There are ruins, including tombs, everywhere. This is one of those times I really wish we had the scientific capacity to be transported like in Star Trek. As I don't like to fly, I'm not sure how I'd feel about my molecules being disseminated, but I suspect it being a shorter thing, I might prefer it. That's an aside. I really would like to be there already. Let's put it that way. For a very long time, though now considered a part of the UK, of Scotland, the islands were inhabited, ruled by the Norwegians. Here there is talk about real-life Vikings, warriors, in the time before Christ. People, again new to me, called the Picts lived there. Never heard of them either, I'm ashamed to say. People quite literally of the Iron Age. There are things built in these islands that are from 3500 BC that they cannot still figure how the construction was done. They're just there, reminding of the history of mankind, its brief in time, comings and goings. And it didn't stop in modern times. The area was a critical spot during both World War I and World War II bringing it, if you will, and perhaps not a very good thing, into the more modern world. George Mackay Brown was born into this milieu between World War I in 1921 and World War II. It seems that everything about the place touched him, moved him, sometimes oppressed him. I can't imagine looking at those videos, it would not. He was sensitive to those arches of time and history and people's passing. He was connected to them, the living, but also to the incredible surpassing numbers of people who had long since died. In the biography I read by Maggie Ferguson, published in 2006, there are actually several biographies. I think there was one that was just done recently. The second poem, or part of a poem that I read in that book, the extent of Brown's awareness of the continuity, if you will, of life and death, that in these modern times we try to push aside made me crave more of the reflections of this man. And it's funny, this is just yet another person, it's amazing how many I've run across in my life, who I discover after they have died, and I say, 
Gosh, I wish I had a chance to meet that person. I suppose that's what heaven will be for in part. So the quote from George Mackay Brown in the book by Maggie Ferguson, a silent conquering army, this island dead, column on column, each with a stone banner raised over his head, a green wave full of fish drifted far and wavering, westering ebb, drawn shoals beyond sinker or star, a labyrinth of celled and waxen pain. Yet I come to the honeycomb often to sip the finished fragrance of men. That's quite a turn of the phrase, the finished fragrance of men. The closest I can come in my sort of sensibility of that kind of experience is that I really tend to like to go to cemeteries. It's always seemed very odd to me. Yeah, the cemeteries themselves are usually very well groomed in beautiful locations surrounded by man-made lakes and flowers and so that's part of the attraction but maybe it's the the contradiction of being in an environment like that where there are row upon row of stones laid on the ground or in the east coast they're upright and if you allow yourself to think about it you're standing there on basically on top of the bodies the ashes the remains of all these people who you never knew and yet in that place you're deeply connected to them it's compelling i don't think there can be any doubt that george Mackay brown was sculpted emotionally and spiritually by the varieties of human life and history that surrounded him as he grew up that's true of all of us but I think some of us are more aware of it than others, and in a place like that, it's very hard to ignore the reality on those forces. I mentioned in my earlier portion of this podcast that one of his heroes was someone called St. Magnus, the Viking Magnus Erlinson, who was born at the end of the 11th century and murdered at the hands of his own cousin in the early 12th. As I said, he is also known as St. Magnus the Martyr, although... He wasn't proclaimed a saint by the instrumentation of a pope or the Vatican. Apparently, his sainthood was declared locally and before the formal process that we have known in the last many years. So there are some who do not accede to his sainthood. George Mackay Brown was one who clearly did. The piety of the man and the willingness to go against the Viking way of war and his death as he prayed for those who would take his life. The reason that some say he isn't properly called a saint is that, though he was pious, his execution was not in specific defense of the faith. It was in a battle with his first cousin, who wanted to be the sole Earl of Orkney. Brown was, by the way, also a devotee of the Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots. We're all, or most of us, seeking the meaning of life, but this man, raised in what might be considered an historically eccentric part of the world, surrounded literally by the hard-to-ignore forces of nature, and the universe was in a place and time that almost makes a search a mission for him. Maybe to be completely open, one of the things that attracted me to him, because I have a little, much more mundane version of it, was that he suffered from depression on and off. This is certainly a deficit for someone who craves the elevation of the holy and of the divine. To me, 
it is a manifestation of the devil himself trying to draw you away from God. And where Makai Brown lived, this place of weather extremes and ancient longing, the shadow of depression had to have been a bear to fight. Maybe the other reason I am attracted to him is that though I have done some traveling in my life, despite my hatred of flying, well, it's not the flying, it's the can at 30,000 feet part that I hate. I have always preferred to be close to home. And that, whether I like to agree or not, is in fact a limitation in life. But by engaging in this poetry, this amazing poetry, and by his internal search for the meaning of life and of God, somehow or another he transcended his limitation. It's not exactly clear to me how exactly it happened, but in that milieu, it's also not entirely surprising, but the moral force of all that surrounded him in history somehow brought him to Catholicism from a Presbyterian background over a long period of time from when he was a teenager. Perhaps in part it was that he suffered all his life from the effects of tuberculosis, and it made him particularly reflective in combination with his historical understanding of time, life, and death. Maybe at some point when I read his autobiography, he did do one, I will get some better sense of it, but I've also read that he was reluctant to even write the autobiography, and that his autobiography was a very undisclosing aspect of his thoughts in his disclosures in writing. I read that he was impressed with a faith, Catholicism, that survives through all of the permutations of human division and power fights, of war and destruction and evil, Catholicism survives as it was 2,000 years ago. For George Mackay Brown, the combination of place, time, and an inescapable spirituality had to be shared, though he didn't do it for fame nor money. It just seems that it poured out of him. The other thing I appreciate about him, particularly living in a time when everything is disposable, when history itself is disposable, he had to preserve the artifacts, human and natural, of the life around him and the life that went before him, because it was necessary to our understanding of ourselves and, for my money, a way to protect us from ourselves and our redoing things that are so destructive, to preserve the best of the past and to warn us of the worst of it. So, with this teaser of about 23 minutes, I will continue the story of George Mackay Brown and talk about some of the poetry that I read that I just found to be really moving in the next episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. Well, thank you for listening, and I hope I've piqued your interest and that you'll come back next week and hear more, or maybe you'll even read about him before George Mackay Brown, before you listen to the next episode. I think you will be as intrigued as I have been by both his grasp of history, his poetry, and his spirituality.